morning, uh, maybe your first thought, I think my first thought when I woke up was, how quickly in this day can I get back to my bed? <laughs> so I was a little, I was a little whooped, I was a little, a little tired um, that hour, uh, uh, amazingly. But I'm pretty impressed to see uh, as many people here uh, as are here, and, uh, and maybe we'll see the ones that didn't set it come rolling in here in just about 10 minutes or so. Uh, don't stare at them or laugh at them if they come in, okay, because some weeks it's you, right? So uh, we're going to jump into this. Uh, parables is what we're finishing up this week, and I don't know about you, but I have so enjoyed working through these parables for the last six weeks. And uh, this week, we're going to finish off with one that, uh, again, I think it's a little bit of tough and bold of a message that Jesus is teaching here. It's the parable of the rich fool. It's found in Luke chapter 12. If you didn't uh, grab a Bible on your way in, feel free. You can pop up. You can grab one of these Bibles that are on the stand. We are going to look at this scripture and a couple others. And if you did happen to get in here and you didn't get your sermon notes to fill in and write in, uh, Richard's in the back. If you just slip up your hand, he'd be happy to bring you uh, a copy of those and... and, uh, and you'd be ready to go. It was fifth grade, my first time where I understood the word greed. So do you understand it? You know what that word's all about? You see, I was working at the little ice cream stand at my school. They would sell lunch, and then after lunch, you could come and you could get an ice cream, and an ice cream was a quarter back, you know, in those days. Uh, and so I was working the counter because I was like one of the, I don't know what they call it, but like the honor students, or you know, you, you were, I was getting good grades at least at the time. Um, and so I was allowed to, to sell ice cream. I, I guess that's one of the perks. If you do really good a- academically in life, you can sell ice cream. Because uh, I was selling ice cream for a quarter. Um, so they give me a quarter, I'd give them whatever ice cream they chose, and they'd be on their way, right? Um, and then my payment for working that was ice cream every day. I always got a, f- a free ice cream. And so I decided, it made good business sense to me, that instead of taking the ice cream, I would just take a quarter each day. So I I didn't understand anything about, you know, the cost of purchase and that type of stuff. So I just thought an ice cream equals a quarter, so I'll just take the quarter instead of the ice cream. And I developed quite a little stash of quarters. And so one day, uh, I told my mom, I'm going to walk up to the mall, which we lived about a quarter mile away from a mall, and I'm going to go buy some, I, I regret to say at this point in my life, but some little Smurf figurines. They're about this big, the little rubber figurines. Some of you are nodding your head, you know exactly. Of course, it's most of you women that are nodding your head. So um, I, it was before my diehard days, okay? Uh, it wasn't quite as manly. So I was going out to buy these little figurines, and my mom says, as I'm walking out the door, man, I'm literally like in the door frame, and my mom says, where did you get the money? Now, my mom's a little bit uh, of a, um, what would you call a micromanager? She knows what's going on in her house pretty much all the time. And so uh, I started into the story. I said, well, it was left over from Christmas. You know, we would have relatives that would send us the little money cards, you know what I'm talking about? And my mom knew there wasn't a chance in the world that I was holding on to money that long and still had it available sometime in the spring uh, that I had that money available. And so she pressed me and she pressed me and eventually it came into the, uh, uh, the news story of, well, one of Richie, my older brother's friends, gave it to me. Now, I didn't realize it at such a young age, but I do now as a dad. That story never makes sense, ever, that a kid just will give another kid money at school. And it certainly never makes sense that an older brother, siblings, kids, would, friends would give 
me money, and so it didn't make sense to my mom. So it was back and forth in my room. Go to your room, think about it, come out, new story, back and forth. And I mean, this went on for hours, these different versions of the story that I would share. And eventually, the truth came out, and I told my mom. Now, I tried to first tell the story like it made perfectly good sense. You know, well, I didn't want the ice cream. Um, I'll take the quarter. It made perfectly good sense. And as my mom shared it, um, it didn't make as good of sense, especially when she talked about the punishment that was going to come with it. So it was, uh, it was, in her words, and I remember this part of it, she said, at least two weeks grounded. It was the word at least that, that really hit me because that meant I have no idea when I'm going to be ungrounded. But here's the other thing is um, we didn't really go to church at all. We had a church, you know, because most everybody has a church, right? But we didn't, you know, venture to it too often. And my mom said, and you're going to go tell the pastor what you did. <laughs> and I thought, oh my goodness, that, is, that was the worst punishment that you could have. Actually, it was a lot of fun to go talk to the pastor, but I've never told my mom that. So um, I just made her think that it was horrible, and, uh, and so that she thought, he's been punished enough. We should let him off. Greed. Really what was going on there is I wanted that money. And I knew exactly what I wanted to buy with it, these figurines. And so I developed a scheme and a strategy to get that money so I could go buy those figures. It backfired on me, but I remember looking back and thinking, this is exactly what I did. I stole to try to get something that I really, really wanted. Now, when I look back on it, I had quite a collection of those. I, I, mean, I don't know, I had 30 or so of these little figurines. Do you remember there was 100 Smurfs in the, in the yeah. So I'm not sure they made 100 figurines, but I had 30 or so of these. I have no idea where they're at now. <laughs> oh, no idea where they're at, which I'm, I, I'm glad to be able to say that because it would be a little scary if I did. But it was stealing to get something that I wanted. That really, when, I, when it was over, it, what, what does the little figurines mean now? But at the time, I was driven by it. I think this defines who we are often that we are driven, driven, driven to do something, maybe not steal, but to scheme, to set up, to plan, to create, manipulate sometimes, to get something that we really, really, really would like to have. And on the flip side, we do a really good job of even justifying why we need to have that thing as well. And so we get caught up in this thing of greed. Well, really this morning, I think that's what Jesus is talking about in this parable. The story is a bit different than the story I just shared with you, but I think Jesus is really getting at the same thing. Luke chapter 12, if you open up your Bible, instead of reading the whole thing, I'm just going to start walking through it, and then I want to highlight some things as we go. And they're, they're all in your notes this morning. You can fill in uh, the blanks uh, as well would be great. Incidentally, uh, uh, we've started online when we put the sermon online. We've also, there's a little section where we've put the notes online now. So if you happen to get out of here and you didn't get something filled in, especially OCD people, you know, that it just drives you crazy the whole week that you have a blank open, feel free to go to the website and download those as well. Or if you get out of here and maybe you left your sermon notes, uh, because I pick up several of them here each week, uh, you can download another copy of that. The blanks are all filled in for you. Usually those are up by Sunday night or Monday morning, and you can have those uh, available as well. Luke chapter 12, here's what it says. Somebody in the crowd said to him, Jesus, teacher, tell my, my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said, 
man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? So simply, somebody's coming and say, hey, Jesus, solve this problem for me. And Jesus say, look, none of my business. All right? That's really what he was saying. I remember there's these two girls uh, in youth group, and, and they're grown and married now, but they were like fifth and sixth grade, and they lived on the same street that I lived on. Um, and when they walked by one time, I, they were new to the church, and I didn't even remember their names. And they walked by, and the younger girl <laughs> says to, the, to me something like, will you tell my older sister to quit kicking me? Or something like that as they're walking down. And I, at the time, I didn't remember that they were new to our church and that they were going to our church. Now, I did tell the other girl, quit kicking her if you're kicking her. But, uh, but here is Jesus, and this guy comes up and just says, hey, will you settle this issue for me? And Jesus said, look, this is, this is not my issue that, uh, to settle for you. But he says this to him, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in... In the abundance of his possessions. And so Jesus, even though he says, look, I'm not going to solve this issue. I'm not going to be your judge here. Let me give you a little bit of lesson, though. Here's a little thing to chew on and to think about. Abundance is not going to be what your life is built on. It's not going to make you have better life because you might have more or less. It's like Jesus saying, look, I don't even know what your issue is. I don't even know who is required to get how much here. But I can tell you this. If you're striving for more, it's not going to come out very good in the end. You're not going to be very content. And really, I think one of the things that we want to start off this parable and think about here is that greed comes in all sizes. It comes in all ways, all shapes and form. You see, these two guys, or this guy that came to Jesus, we have no idea if he was a rich person. We don't know anything about him. Jesus is going to tell the story of a rich man from here on out. But at this point, this is just a guy coming to Jesus and saying, hey, solve this issue for me. Now, probably the issue is not, hey, will you decide this and judge this for me, Jesus? Because I think I'm getting too much, and I'd really like you to settle this so I can get less. Does it ever work out that way? I mean, do your kids ever come to you, and you, know, and you slice it down the middle, and they say, I would really like the smaller piece. My older brother or sister or whatever can have the younger piece. Rarely does it ever work out that way. Maybe at one time it works out if the kid is trying to play you to get something else. You know, sometimes it works out that way. But usually we're after the bigger. But this guy comes and, and does this. Jesus is teaching a little lesson. So look, greed comes in all sizes, comes in all ways, all shapes, all forms. Be on guard against this because your life is going to be no better with the abundance of possessions. And then he just launches into this story. And he told this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So in this story, here's the first thing. Look at the dilemma of the man. What do I do with the extra? Pretty good problem to have, right? Uh, I mean, have you ever looked at your bank account and said, man, what in the world should I do with all this extra money that keeps pouring into my account? You know? Well, every once in a while, maybe, but, but in general, no. We don't look at our bank accounts that way necessarily, but that's what's going on with this guy. He looks and he says, I have been so blessed with my crops, I don't quite know what to do with the extra crops. With the extra that, that I've been blessed with, I don't know what to do with those. That's, that's an interesting and a pretty nice dilemma. It opens up the door, though. What do you do with extra? Hey, what do you do in your life when the Lord blesses you with something extra? 
Didn't even know it was there. Didn't know it was coming. And all of a sudden, boom, there was a, a new, another check that came in. Or, or the Lord just blessed you and you didn't have to pay something a, a certain month. Um, I realized this, this month, my, my, my kids go to a school that we pay a little tuition. And I realized in March, I didn't even know this, that we don't make a payment in March. So no bill came on March 8th. And I thought, wow, I did not expect that. That was a very nice thing, especially since the, the day woo, as I shared with you last week, you know, died on me, and it is now being donated to a charity. Um, and I think I'm going to cry again. No, I'm not, I'm not going to cry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get past it. But it was very nice, extra thing this month. I mean, how many times when you are blessed with something extra or unexpected, what do you do with it? Do you ever sit and think, wow, maybe, maybe I should do something with this. Maybe I should turn around and bless. My pastor at, at Deer Valley, he had this policy that if he was blessed with something extra out of the blue, that he would turn around and bless his staff as well, and he would do a little bit something for us, take us to lunch, or give us a little bit of cash, or, or this type of thing as well. This guy, this was the dilemma. I have a lot. I've been blessed. It's an overflow. What do I do with it? Pretty nice problem to have. Problem is, as we find here, he wasn't content with what he had. He wasn't content with this. You know, he, he, we find in just a second that he develops a plan right away to try to store this, probably with the expectation that the blessing would increase and that he would keep getting more and more. And so his plan was now that I've got to take care of this and I've got to take care of even the more that's going to come down the road. And we're going to find that he chooses even to take care of himself. He wasn't actually content with what he had. And we find that in Scripture, actually, contentment is the opposite of greed. That when we actually find contentment with what we've been given, whether it's a great blessing one month or whether it's not as much one month, when we find contentment in what we have, greed is kind of squelched out. The opportunity for greed is kind of put away when we find contentment. We use this phrase uh, a lot in the church world that we are just managers. We're not owners, meaning God has invested in us, that he has given to us, entrusted in our hands, but really the owner is God. Whether we're talking about possessions or we're talking about uh, monetary, our families, that really we are managers to this. And there are many, many times when I think the biggest struggle in our life is to find contentment in what we're managing. We think maybe our lot we're managing should be greater, or what I have is, is good, but I really like it to be a shinier model of what I have. And we don't find contentment. Well, the opposite of contentment is often greed, when we desire so badly to either have more or have something different. And just like my story at the beginning, we will often plan, scheme, manipulate, do whatever we can to find that thing. Take a look at First uh, Timothy 6, if, if you have your Bible. First Timothy 6, chapter uh, 6, verse 10. Excuse me, 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. You hear that? Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now think about it this week, especially many of you, I know sitting, I'm looking at you, didn't have power. 
uh, this week. And some of you just reading your Facebook, you, had a, you actually had pretty good fun with it um, or, you know, for the last couple days. And it's almost like that verse came to life that I just read. You had, uh, you know, what you had? You had some food. You had some clothing. Some of you were at, wall, at, at Waffle House, I read. And that's always a good time about 11 o'clock at night anyway. So you had some food. You had some clothing. You found contentment. Verse 5, or 9, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil, all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What is the Bible getting at there that it's terrible that this guy is rich? It's terrible that he's been blessed with more than he can actually store? No, that's not what the Bible's saying at all. The Bible's speaking to this issue of contentment, that when we lack the contentment in what we've been given or what we manage, and that we just so desire for more or something newer than what we have or a different model of what we have, it's as greed sinks in. And when this verse says down here that if somebody is wanting to be rich, does that mean that going out and, and wanting to work hard and earn your money, wanting to get promotions, maybe get a better paying job, but all those things are wrong? No, not at all. Because it's followed up in Timothy by saying, look, the love of money, the love of that, when we so fall in love with that pursuit and the result of that pursuit then we're open to all kinds of evil, is what it says there. Our focus is entirely different. Just as I learned as a fifth grader with my mom who busted me hard on my ice cream scheme, we learned that it never delivers what it really promises. And in the end, all kinds of evil sink in. And so that's what is being written there. There's another verse I left for you in Proverbs 30. I encourage you to look at that yourself. But we're going to go on in the parable. In Luke chapter 12. Then he said, This is what I'll do, the man, the rich man. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to myself, You have plenty of goods laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So look at his decision here. What he really does, he says, I'm going to put myself first. That's his focus here. You see, he has barns. He has suitable barns up till now for what he had. But when this extra amount came in, what he decided is, I'm going to tear down the barns, and I will put up some new, bigger barns, and then I will fill up so that I have everything to myself, that I can, I can store all that I have, and then I can take it easy. And he finishes off by saying, eat, drink, and be merry. So, in him, the issue is not so much this extra blessing. I'm not even sure the issue so much is just that he was storing it. The issue is, what was he going to do with what he stored? What would it eventually be used for? And we find for him, his focus here is so that he can make life easy, that he himself can eat, drink, and be married. Really, overall, he is saying, look, I'm going to prop myself up for a really nice, fat, easy future. That's what he's all about. Now, here's, as we think about this, it hits us a little countercultural here, right? Because when we think about this, we think about, you know, put away as much as you can put away 
so that when retirement comes, you know, you'll be set for the rest of your retirement years, right? Or we say, boy, if I could retire earlier than that, or if I could save up enough now that we could do a lot of extra stuff in our family. And it, it seems like that's kind of an American dream type of mentality when we process that way. But when we peel back the layers of that, whatever it looks like, if we're not careful, at the core of that is often the same thing that this gentleman is dealing with here, the desire to take care of himself with even the abundance of what he's been given. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. That's what Jesus is hitting here. You see, greed's demonstrated in a lifestyle focused on pleasure. It's a lifestyle focused on pleasure. Now, when you say pleasure, you might often think, oh, well, pleasure, that means, you know, I just um, do really great, fun things for myself. I'm going to go out and party it up and these type of things. Not necessarily. That pleasure just simply boiled down to taking care of just myself, doing what I want to do, that type of pleasure. And so Jesus is getting at this as he's propping up where he's going in the next, in the next paragraph here. He's propping up by saying... This is the guy's attitude to take care of himself. Did you know, I don't know if you knew this, the average Christian gives 3.5% of their income away. Uh, church, charity, K-love, whatever. The average Christian gives away 3.5% of their income over the course of their year. This coming from the Reveal study that Willow Creek Community Church put on several years ago. They found that 2.7% of that money, or of, of, the, of what Christians give, 2.7% goes to the church or to ministries of the church, meaning uh, leftover 0.8% goes somewhere else. But 3.5%, why is that that even believers in Jesus Christ have such a hard time giving away our money? giving to the church, to funding the missions of the church, or giving to something the, the Lord just moves your heart on out there, uh, outside of these doors. Remember the word outwards, our focus this year? Just the Lord hits you with something. Why is it that it's so hard to give the three, more than the 3.5 that the average Christian? Well, I think really if we were honest with ourselves, and, and I'm telling you, I'm going to say for me, as I speak honestly with myself, it's because I like myself and I like doing stuff for myself or for myself and my family. I enjoy those type of things. And so I end up spending money on those type of things. And in the end, what is left, I have to then decide, is what's left, is there anything I can actually do for God? Is there anything I can give to God? Is there anything I can do for his church? And in the end, I say, gosh, maybe I can get to 3.5% this month. But somehow that stat works out to that, meaning I've chosen pleasure over, over God or over being generous to others. Here's what Luke says later on in this verse. It's not in the section of Scripture that we're reading. He says later on in this chapter, from, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Now, this is where you can really interpret the Bible to benefit yourself. As you read that passage, it would be very easy for you to say, well, I haven't been given that much. But usually we say that by comparing ourselves to somebody who's been giving a lot, right? So let's go the other way with it. Let's think now and compare ourselves to someone who's been given very little. 
let's think about worldwide, across our planet, those who deal every day with extreme, extreme poverty. And we would clearly say they have been given very little in their life, next to nothing. When we look at it from that comparison, we go this way with the comparison, no, I don't have much. We go this way, we are tremendously blessed. Just about everyone here in our country, tremendously blessed. And so the Bible telling us here, much is demanded of those who have been given much. If we're entrusted with much, much is asked of us. And so it goes on in this story, if we, if we continue it on, verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. Now that's pretty strong language. In fact, that's about, if you know scripture and you know Greek words there, that's about as close to like a, a cuss word that we would use when, when, when he says this. Uh, there's this word called raka um, in the Bible. It's often translated like stupid you know, um, and we go around and say something, you know, like, hey, stupid, or, you know, you hear a three-year-old say stupid, and, oh, that's so cute, you know, but this word rocket in the Bible, this is like a harsh cuss word. I mean, this in the day was really harsh, and so, you know, t- to know that it came out of the lips of Jesus, you know, what causes maybe sometimes to kind of chill out a little bit on a list of, of words, because, I mean, this word was harsh that's used. And so sometimes these words are used to describe, and here, this word fool is a pretty strong word. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, you will, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And God's just basically saying, look, you're dead tonight. And with all your new barns and everything you've stored up, it's wonderful, but you're dead, and then, and then who? Who's going to get this? Where's it going to go at this point? What would Jesus be trying to do here? He's really saying, look, look at his destiny. He died without making a difference. Can I say that again? This man died without making a difference. Now, granted, this is a parable, remember. It's a story. If you want to take the time to kind of break it down and say, well, you know, he probably had family, or he probably had somebody he willed it to, probably had a son or something like that, maybe. Who knows? It's not part of the story. It's not the point Jesus is trying to teach. The point is, Jesus says, is this man was entrusted with incredible blessing, more so than other people. In fact, not only was he rich to begin with, but then he became even more rich. But he chose not to make a difference with his riches. He chose not to make a difference with what he had been entrusted. If we are considering ourselves managers instead of owners, this guy chose to manage for himself and not make a difference for anyone else. That's the point that Jesus is getting at here when he says this. What about us? I mean, think about it. What type of difference have you made in somebody else's life with your resources? Think about your resources for a second. There's time. What type of time have you invested in someone else and other people? This week, I, um, I'll brag on our Amy Brindle uh, spent some time with, with a lady who, she actually came to our church a couple weeks, but the distance is so far, it's hard for her to come regularly. So I think they're plugging in somewhere else, which is great. Um, but here's Amy Brindle, who's spending time discipling this girl, or spending time with her um, throughout the week. Um, why would you do that? I mean, we could just say, well, they don't even go to our church. Why, why would you do that? We got other people at our church. Because the Lord put it on our heart to invest time with this person and spend time. That's a way we invest in someone else. 
we invest our finances in other people sometimes when they need it. Now, you, you, you don't even know who I'm talking about, but somebody just a couple weeks ago who had been actually out of work, had been back and forth from, from work and not working over the last year, just plopped down this big amount and said, would you send this to this particular family that I've heard is in need, and uh, please don't tell anybody, you know, that it's for me. And, and they did this, you know. And you might think, oh, for a second, well, yeah, it's probably, you know, like a older, established family, you know, really solid work, you know, job and good incomes and stuff. No, I know this amount was a huge sacrifice for this person. Yet they did it. Why? Because they said, this tugged on my heart and I have to invest and I have to make a difference with my money on this occasion. And they did that. It's amazing. With the time, with our money. What about our stuff? You know, this week, uh, Angela Ford, who's at home with the stomach bug uh, today, but Angela Ford, they opened up her house the last couple weeks, or not weeks, last couple nights, excuse me, with the power out for people to come and stay with her. And I know that, uh, you know, w- w- many of you were kind enough to say, hey, if you need anything, come and say, but people took her up on it, you know. Secretly, sometimes, like, we don't want anyone to take us up on it, right? You know, we just want to be nice on Facebook. But people took her up on it. I mean, she had two families that came and stayed in her house. I mean, this is not like, you know, a, a nine-bedroom mansion. You know, this is just an average-sized house that she crammed these people in and took care of them and fed them and kept them warm and gave them a shower and that type of stuff. So we do stuff with our possessions as well, right? Our time, our finances, our possessions, we make a difference in other people's lives. Here, ask yourself this question. How quick are you to being willing to make a difference in someone else's life? Like strategically, do you sit and look at people and say, hey, here's how I could plug in. I'm going to offer this and see if, uh, if I can make a difference. Or if it's just spur of the moment. It pops up. There's a need. There's an issue. You don't even have time to think about it, but you just say, you know, hey, I'm here. What do you need? You know, I'll do it. How quick are you to do that? Or for you, is it much easier to kind of think about it from another, oh, this is really going to inconvenience me. I don't know if I can do this today. I don't really have the extra money for this. Um, You know, if I give them some time here, they might suck me dry uh, over here. And we create these reasons. You see, the point Jesus is really getting at in the end here is not, hey, if you have a lot of money, that's a terrible sin. No. In fact, that'd be anti-scripture. He said, what are you doing with what I've given you? If you are a manager, if I've put you in charge of this stuff, what are you doing with it? Are you serving my kingdom? Are you serving other people with your time, your money, your possessions? Are you actually following my word where it says, you know, give to the church, fund the mission of the church as well in our tithes and offerings? What are we doing with that? Or is it easy for us sometimes to just find a reason why that inconveniences us? This is what C.S. Lewis says. If you read history, you find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next world. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. What is C.S. Lewis getting at when he talks about that? He's saying, look, uh, we're going to be with our maker, with our, ki- with, with our creator for eternity. And if that is where I'm headed, then it would seem natural that I want everyone to head there with me. And so when I say focused on this, on this spiritual world, this eternal world, this world that God has created and he works out of that world in our world, when I stay focused on who he is and in what his purpose was in drawing me to himself, 
I would have to conclude that he wants to draw everyone to himself. And guess who he's going to use for that? He's going to use me. And if I just simply thought that I would, God would use me in the way that I would just verbally tell you, hey, um, you've blown it in life, you need Jesus, surrender your life to him right now, and everything will be great, and you'll live in eternity. If I thought that was just the way that he was going to use, well, then I would look in my scripture and say, why all these silly parables then that Jesus teaches me about serving other people and making a difference with other people and not being greedy as well? No, Jesus says to me, look, I want you to make an impact in people for the sake of the kingdom, and here's how you're going to do it. Serve them. Give to them. Offer your possessions, offer your time, offer your finances. Do for them when they're in need. And C.S. Lewis is saying, the more we focus on the eternal, who God is, the more we find ourselves trying to make a difference in this world as well. 1 Timothy uh, 6, 6, further on in the passage we read earlier, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the the life that is truly life. So what's the takeaway this morning? What really, as believers, as a church here at Wendover Hills, can we take away? How can I change my attitude regarding money, really, here? Or riches, if you'd like to say it that way. Here's the first thing, is think return instead of give. Instead of just thinking, man, I have to give, give, give. They're always asking for money. Think about the return, the investment in the kingdom that we make. Do you know that it's true that there is really only about 1% of Christians will ever actually lead somebody to the Lord. That means you actually sit down and pray with somebody to accept Jesus Christ. I'm sad that that is the number, 1%, because in my, in my years, I would say there's nothing brought me more joy and satisfaction than being able to sit with somebody when they say yes to Jesus Christ. Amazing thing. But at the same time, I want to also be honest that many of you that maybe haven't actually sit down with somebody and walk them to the Lord in a prayer or in conversation, you have in the way you've given. You've given of your finances, you've given of your time, you've served in our kids ministry program. And so when we think about return, like I can promote it this way. I can say we're always in need of children's worker. Every church in America is in need of children's worker every single week, right? I was at a church of 24,000 for three years, right? And every week, guess what you heard? We need children's workers all the time, right? We're no different. We need children's workers. I could beg you every single week till you really like hated me saying it. Um, But the truth of the matter is this. It's not sacrificing an hour a week. It's not me saying, hey, it's only an hour a month, you know, to help out. It's me saying, look, you are making a kingdom impact in the life of these kids. I mean, think about the return when one of these young kids six years down the road, eight years, ten years, comes and says, look, I'm thinking I'm going to go into the ministry full-time. Or when they come to you and say, um, I was talking to my friend at high school, and I, I led them to the Lord. I remembered something you said in class. You've got to think about the return that you get in ministry. If we dwell on the give, often we can be disgruntled givers. But we, we dwell on the return. I have to give 10% tithe? 
10%? Are you kidding me? Think about the return. Think about what God does in his kingdom, in his body here. And as you know, we have no desire to be inclusive to just take a a 10% tithe and take care of ourselves and have really nice stuff here and nice potlucks. We want to get out these doors and do what Patty shared that we were going to be doing on March 22nd. Think return instead of give. Think purpose instead of pleasure. This always puts us in perspective, is when we think about purpose. When we think and we ask the question, God, what purpose have you put me on this earth for? What purpose uh, have you, when you gave me this salary, what purpose have you put in my life with these things? When we start to think about purpose, we start to think about the things God really needs us to do. I mean, why does the Boer family go to Teen Challenge on Friday night? What's once a month that you go on Friday? Why do they go there and spend their money to feed a, a bunch of guys? Uh, and that, that takes a little bit of cash, right, to put together that food. Why? Uh, purpose. Because God has said, look, I'm going to give you these couple jobs. You're going to have a combined income here. But I have a purpose for that. It's to impact the kingdom of God. And here is a way that, that moves their heart that you can impact. And so they go and do that. And thank you for those who have, who have partnered with them to go and do that as well. We think purpose before we think pleasure. Does that mean, man, I should never go spend money on the movies. I should just never, you know, go get an ice cream and enjoy it. No, it's not saying that at all. But it's saying when we fall in love with the pleasure things, we forget about purpose altogether. Forget about it. Ask yourself, have you honestly said, God, what's my purpose regarding my finances or the resources you've given me? And finally, think generosity instead of greed. Thinking generosity. Here's the, the point in that, is that at the end of the day, I don't think anyone in here would say, yeah, Tom, you know, I am really greedy. That's, I, I don't think we identify ourselves as greedy. So don't ask that question. Ask yourself, am I identified as generous? Instead of just saying, look, I'm not greedy, and you bump yourself up and feel good about being in this kind of neutral zone, ask yourself, am I identified as generous? When somebody looks at me or or they see it, do they think, man, they're they're really generous? And not not that we're trying to, you know, uh, brag about our generosity. That would kind of defeat a couple other scriptures in the the Bible. But the point is, would we look at it and say, I think God is pleased with me in that he's developed somebody who is generous? With what he's given me to manage, I have invested in his kingdom through generosity. This morning, I know this message probably hits many of you lots of different directions. For some of you, it kind of hits you on the side of you saying, you know, I've, I've got some stuff and, and I just haven't quite been generous. Like, I, this past couple weeks, you know, I, I, I couldn't even think about opening up my house or, or, or giving and those type of things. Or maybe it, this hits you from a direction you're like, you know, I, I'm... Th- 3.5%, like that would be a great giving for me because I just have not locked into giving to the church. Maybe it hits you that way and God's challenging you to look, get locked into to tithes, to regular giving, to the mission. Or maybe it's just a totally different way that I haven't even thought of that the Lord has hit you to say, give of your time, give of your money, give of your possessions, be generous in what you do because the biggest barns in the world stored up won't bring contentment won't bring contentment. And in the end, the question is asked of us. I think it's the same question. Are you making a difference in what God's given you? So let me pray for you on that. Uh, and, then, uh, and then we've got a little special thing we're going to do after that. Oh, let's pray. Father, thank you uh, this morning. 
I thank you for this parable series, Lord. I know that you have knocked me sideways in the time of, of study and, and things that you've showed me in the scripture. And, and there's, you've gone so far to say, Lord, uh, Tom, how dare you speak about this stuff until you get, you get going on this stuff yourself, Lord. So you've convicted me hard. I thank you for this series. Lord, I, I just equally hope that, that there are people of part of your body here that have been impacted at some point in the last eight weeks as we've looked at parables. And this week especially, Lord, I know it's always touchy when we talk about money and our stuff. Um, but Lord, you talk about it over and over and over in your scripture. And so Lord, this morning, if there be anyone in here, Lord, that you are speaking to, you're knocking on a door, I just pray, Father, it could be loud and clear, your voice to them, not my voice to them, but yours to them, that says, here's what I want you to do with this. And then would they put it in place right away, right away, and then would you show blessing because of it? Lord, not blessing because we can manipulate your hand, but blessing because you say it's better life when we're generous with what you've given us. We'll trust you and all that you do in that area. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen.